Welcome to Rhode Island's Church and State Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Jessica. We're a husband and wife podcast. He's a pastor and I'm a state senator. So you've been warned. We're about to talk politics and religion. And anything else that might get us canceled. Welcome back, everyone. Today, Jess and I will be discussing the state of the pro-life movement and uh, abortion in general in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, This past week, we had several abortion bills that were heard in the Rhode Island uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, which uh, uh, my wife, uh, the great senator from the Northwest, uh, used to be a, um, a member of, and now is uh, the minority whip. She gets to uh, to sit in on some of these committees, and and especially if she's submitting legislation, she'll advocate for it. Uh, so, Jessica, before we get into your legislation and some of the other abortion bills that were heard, what um, how would you describe the the um, the state of abortions in Rhode Island. What's the legal status of, of them? Well, we passed, uh, I didn't vote for it, but it was passed in the Senate and the House, signed by the governor um, in 2019, expanding abortions um, really to the moment of birth, as long as you can find a doctor that's willing to do that. So um, pretty much, uh, I would say abortion on demand. Yeah. Wow. And uh I think you have another question for me. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you about to ask. I was me about to, and, and I didn't want to. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted to finish that thought, but um, do you know how many clinics there are in Rhode Island? I, I know that there used to be a Boy Scouts, I think, headquarters in Providence, like right off the highway, and then um, uh, Planned Parenthood. I, I don't know if they. I guess they sold the business or sold the building, and then Planned Parenthood moved into it. Is that the only uh, clinic in in the state, to your knowledge? To my knowledge, that's the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I believe there were two at some, one point. Cranston, because, I think. Yeah, and because yeah. I, I was looking for inspection reports, and I could only find um, one listed, which was Planned Parenthood in Providence. Okay, well, uh, l- let's switch over now. Uh, Monday was um, it was a little different. I remember two, uh, yeah, two years ago when we had the um, uh, some of the abortion legislation presented, and there was some pro life bills as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of activity at the state house. Every time the bills were being heard in the committees in the house or the Senate, you had a lot of people flooding the state house uh, mm-hmm. from both sides. And then when they were being voted on uh, by the house chamber and then the Senate chamber, same thing, a lot mm-hmm. of people. So there was a lot of activity last year, um, uh, excuse me, two years ago, mm-hmm. but um this time, because of COVID, uh, nobody was able to really show up. Instead, people were stuck with uh, calling yeah, in and emailing. Calling, yeah. One thing that really bo- bothered me was the uh, last-minute nature of the notification. Mm-hmm. So it was it was literally like Friday afternoon, Friday, I feel like 3 2 p.m. or 3, yeah. 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. And that's when they updated the schedule for next week. And that's when they announced that the um, – uh, the, the uh, hearing on was Monday. on Monday. Yeah. yeah, on Monday they would be hearing these bills. I, I heard from people that were just like, why does this happen so quickly? It's like, we don't even have a chance to respond. Why, why aren't they giving us more notice and putting this on a legit calendar where you can see it for weeks at a time instead of the yeah. weekend? The rules are uh, the 48 hours. And so normally we would meet because the legislature is part-time. So they meet Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays for six months. Mm-hmm. And because of COVID, we um, have session on Tuesday. And at the rise, we would normally go to judiciary. But because of COVID, we don't um, we don't meet in the building mm-hmm. for, for committees. So Monday is the new, um, the new day for judiciary, Mondays and Thursdays. 
And so it could have been on a Thursday, which would have made more sense. And then people would have had, you know, the weekdays to right. sign up. So people yep. had to sign up by Sunday at 4 p.m. Now, mind you, it's the weekend and people are, it's nice weather. So they're probably not checking their Facebook or emails. And so the turnout was lower than, um, than usual. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's talk about the bills that you sponsored. There were two of them. Uh, and, and our uh, listeners can check them out on the General Assembly's website if you want to read them. Or, you know, we'll probably even put them in the links uh, to our, if you visit churchandstateri.com, we'll make sure that we have a link there to the uh, to the bills so that mm. you can read them for yourself. Because I thought they were pretty reasonable bills. The first one is uh, S669 called the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. And then the second one was S645, which uh, really advocated for yearly inspections of healthcare facilities. Both of these seem to be pretty innocent, but let's first talk about the S669 Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Uh, What did this bill do? So what this bill um, aims to do is protect um, children in utero from abortions after they're able to feel pain. So the consensus, it depends on who you talk to, but the consensus is um, 20 weeks is when um, babies can feel pain inside, uh, inside, the, uh, inside utero. So the, the premise is, you know, it, it's, un, it's, un, it, it's inhumane mm-hmm. uh, to terminate someone's life uh, and, and they can feel their limbs being ripped from, from their torso or being a chemically induced uh, abortion. So um, that's what the bill uh, aimed to do, and, and Planned Parenthood was against it, of course, because it prohibits abortions. Okay, so if I hear you right, you're saying that uh, at the 20-week mark, an abortion would be prohibited because it's at 20 weeks, generally speaking, these uh, unborn babies are able to feel pain. Right. Uh, so this was this is really a humanitarian gesture saying, listen, um, if this is an unborn baby, let's at least... Um, uh, an unborn baby that can actually feel pain mm-hmm. and will recoil. Is that, is that yeah. what we're seeing? So I testified, um, quoting a doctor, he, uh, it was during the Bush, Bush administration. He was talking about, um, just this very thing where, um, they even, they, they even believe that perhaps they can feel pain more intensely, these unborn babies, because the layer of skin is much thinner than, um, say baby at term or wow. even you or I, so it could actually be their pain could be intensified, and so the other, um, you know, because babies can't talk, so the other uh, observable um, uh, markers that you could look for is rapid eye movement, recoiling from instruments, and mm. so um, that's why I say consensus is twenty weeks that uh, unborn babies can feel pain. Wow. Now, uh, Planned Parenthood came to testify against your bill, yeah. as did uh, others, the National Organization for Women and mm-hmm. several other groups. Pretty liberal groups, you would say, no? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, <laughs> I'm trying to temper my language, but yeah, I'd say so. Um, so what was uh, what was their specific um, argument against it? That it prevented abortions. And as you said, this is humanitarian. Did but... they did they argue at all with the um, the consensus among doctors that these babies do feel pain after the twenty week mark? No, they did not. Well, I think that says a lot in itself. It sure does. That seems to be a concession that they do. Hmm. It's a concession without actually verbalizing it, because right. they didn't, like yeah. as you said, they didn't 
push back against that. Right, right. Um, okay. Uh, and then the, the next bill that you submitted was S645. And again, we'll add a link to our website, churchandstateri.com. Uh, just go to the episode and you'll see the links in the description. But um, th th this one advocated for yearly inspections of healthcare facilities. There's a little bit of a story to this one because you and I were surprised to hear that um, Planned Parenthood's clinic wasn't actually being inspected, even though it's supposed to be a clinic caring for women's health. And of course, right. there's all kinds of medical procedures, uh, abortion procedures that are happening. Yeah, there. surgical, chemical procedures happening at these clinics. It's not like you're going for a post-op for a knee surgery, right. you know? Um, so you did a little bit of digging for this one a couple of years ago. That's yeah. when it started. What happened? Yeah. So in 2019, I was looking at um, what happens at these abortion clinics. So I was searching online at the Department of Health in Rhode Island to find out how often are these clinics inspected. Because, you know, you always hear that mantra, safe, legal, and rare, and then it was just safe and legal. So I was like, when I found the information, I was like, how can we even call this safe when... In 2019, I asked the Department of Health, I said, I cannot find any inspection reports for Planned Parenthood or any abortion facilities in this state. Mm. I would like the reports. And she said, well, uh, like, how far are you looking back? And I said, well, just 10 years, if you could give me that. And uh, she's like, okay, I'll get back to you. Never heard back. So I called back and I said, yeah, I'm just waiting for those. You know, we're going to be hearing this um, and I need the information. And she's like, oh, oh, that's easy. There are none. No. And I said, there are zero reports. And she said, well, there's one, but it was because they had opened the facility. And when you open the facility, they have to check. So it's like, your, what would you expect? Of course, they would pass. It's not like they're inspecting. Yeah, it's brand new. Exactly. It's clean, shiny, clean, new Every, paint. Everything's right. sanitized, Everything place, new equipment. Everything sanitized, yeah. Right. So that obviously does not count on this inspection. Mm. Um, so this bill would, um, it would the facilities would have to follow the same standards mm -hmm. and um, and they would have to have yearly inspections because you know what, as I said in committee, fast food restaurants shouldn't be held to a higher standard of cleanliness than these abortion clinics. And a lot of these organizations and even individuals and physicians would call and say, well, this puts an undue uh, burden on these facilities. And I said, well, where do you see that? Point it out for me in the legislation. And they couldn't. And each time I would say, on line five, it says the same standards. <laughs> this, if you were watching, and by the way, we'll even add to the uh, episode description a link to the video because there was quite a few exchanges between you and and um, the and, ACLU, and, sure, the... yeah. Uh, Planned Parenthood, right. any of the advocates, organization for women, especially on this issue, because they were suggesting that you were trying to, you know, punish these facilities or shut them down. One person made a remark, "Oh, if there's an M and M on the floor, you're you're <laughs> going to shut us down." And you you pushed back on that pretty hard and pretty consistently. I would say every single time someone mischaracterized your bill, pretty much every you time, you were very clear saying that is not what this bill does. It says right here. They're fear mongering. That, right. You were not targeting Planned Parenthood or their abortion clinic, mm -hmm. but you were just holding them to the same standard that any other clinic, medical clinic would be held to. Exactly. Uh, especially when you consider the nature of what's happening inside these clinics. As you said at right. the beginning of your comments, uh, of course, there are these surgical 
um, procedures, mm -hmm. but there's chemicals involved. Right. Um, there have been many reports. You and I have heard these, and we have friends who are eyewitnesses that that spend times doing prayer vigils around Planned Parenthood, and they see ambulances uh, coming in and out of that clinic. Right. Because uh, you know, for whatever for whatever reason, mm -hmm. so why these facilities have not been inspected is beyond me. Right. And can you really say that you care about women if you don't hold these clinics to the same standard as other healthcare facilities? That's not pro-woman. Yeah. I mean, they said, well, you know, um, these clinics, of course, they're going to be up to, to date and up to standard. I said, well, okay, then let's just inspect them then to make sure. And oh, well, you just want to close them down. And I was like, listen, Planned Parenthood is going to be on top of their game because this is a very lucrative business. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're not going to want to lose any revenue. Right. So you were just advocating for, listen, if it's going to be a woman's health, let's really make it about a woman's health, yeah. not just getting, you know, uh, as many abortions through as, as possible. Right. Interesting. It was really fascinating to hear that they, I, I could not hear a legitimate argument against your, um, your bill. I think the only one that I heard was, oh no, I'm sure there's already a law in the book right now about that. Right. But you were, you were, you made it clear it's not being enforced. This will codify it, you know, in the same way that they codify. Exactly. I love they, that. Use that word, David, codify. <laughs> <laughs> in the same way that they wanted to codify Roe versus Wade into state law, yeah. you want to codify these um, clinics and these inspections so that they're, they're actually happening on an annual basis. And any reasonable person would look at this legis legislation and say, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. You even brought up how in your district there are restaurants that are submit um, are subject to you know random health inspections mm -hmm. and of course they can get dinged or knocked down or whatever uh, not knocked down shut down you know especially with covid if mm -hmm. they violate or break some of these right. um, yeah. um, health regulations so um, to suggest that somehow planned parenthood should be above the law and shouldn't have to subject themselves to the same thing that a restaurant does we're not I... even talking about surgeries happening in these restaurants yeah. it's yeah. pretty wild and I'm telling you it's crazy yeah uh do you think that one's going to get out of committee any bill that um is even perceived to um uh, prohibit abortion and i kept saying this is this has nothing to do with abortion but it's just perceived that way um then it's it's going nowhere yeah yeah people the leadership would be terrified to touch this <laughs> okay yeah um all right and um uh, and I'm, I guess, I'm imagining like pitchforks and, yeah. you know, flames. This and, would, I mean, but these were the, your two bills in particular seem to be, you know, very, um, uh, very sensible, science oriented, you know, based on medical research and understanding whether it's the pain, cha pain capable child protection act or the, um, um, the, the, the one with the abortion clinics mm -hmm. or medical clinics in general, both of those just seem to be no brainers, but especially the clinic one, I could, I don't understand how a person who, who even is pro-choice would not support Planned Parenthood being subject to medical inspections. Well, That's beyond me. If you just remove the word Planned Parenthood and call it, you know, medical facility, I'm sure they'd be all for it. Yeah. But if you're... If that medical facility includes one that does abortions, then all of a sudden, hands off, don't touch it. You know, right. you're just trying to. So again, just about if you really are pro woman, 
then you want to make sure that women are not protected. Mm -hmm. You know, go to safe, clean clinics. All right. So we'll, we'll move away from your two bills. Good luck okay. with those. Sounds like they're going nowhere, unfortunately, uh, unless, you know, maybe there'll be a, a people rising a up, calling their senators, <laughs> demanding it. But yeah. um, you also spoke on behalf of Senator Morgan, who was unable to make it to committee because she had uh, a very personal loss in her family. Mm -hmm. But um, she submitted a bill, S664, called the Infant Born Alive Act. Mm -hmm. This was another one that I just saw as a compassionate act. Give everyone a summary of what this bill do, uh, would do. Yeah. So I'm a co-sponsor on that bill and uh, Senator Morgan and I, she actually co-sponsored my bills. So this one is also, as you said, a no-brainer. So Infant Born Alive Act, regardless of the circumstance of their birth, if it is an abortion clinic or if it's at a hospital, that when an infant is born alive, that we provide medical care to the infant. Um, and that also includes life saving measures, resuscitating well, born alive. Like if, you know, if the, if the baby's born, like our, our last son, he was born, he was having some trouble breathing, right. but they were able to, they almost rushed him out of the room. It was a scary moment. Yeah. It was, I mean, one minute we're happy. The baby's born, you know, yeah. I'm just waiting to hear him start crying and he's not crying. And then it was like the room just erupted into a flurry of activity. Doors yeah. are swinging open. Everyone swoops More in. More doctors are coming in. And then, and thank God, he started choking started, up and yeah. crying and, and, and everything. So an infant born alive, um, you would do everything in your power to um, uh, to, make, to to ensure that the child lives. Mm -hmm. um, we saw this with Governor Northam in Virginia, and he was talking about how the- Oh, keep the baby comfortable. Keep them comfortable, yeah. Right. And then decide. Yeah. And um, there was a physician, he wasn't quite as overt, but he did make reference to like, no, you're just a legislator and I'm a doctor and I have years of education and we decide. Yeah. It's like, no doctor, you don't get to decide who lives and who dies. And so th th what this legislation would do, if I understand it right, a baby um, is prematurely born mm -hmm. and the doctors would be uh, mandated to, to try to save the baby's life. Yes whether or not that baby was wanted or unwanted. Exactly. Would this also protect a baby in the event that, let's say, a woman goes into an abortion clinic with the intention of having an, an abortion, but um, for some reason, you know, the, the baby survives the abortion mm -hmm. uh, and actually is delivered. The doctor seemed to be suggesting that the baby should even then not be resuscitated or not be allowed to live as in the doctor and the mother have had a plan before and if that plan is to execute the plan execute the baby yeah if if that baby is born alive and disrupts that plan then they should have the option to just let it die wow that's gruesome i was yeah that, that was a shocking moment i think hearing everybody um, if you listen to the doctor and, and share his reasoning behind it, um, it, it's, uh, um, uh, I don't know, I, I'm having a hard time finding the right words to, to say it because my father was a doctor. Some, some of our listeners know this, but he was, uh, he just, he could not wrap his head around abortion. You know, why a doctor would be a part of that. He was not a particularly religious person. Um, but when it came to abortion, he just, you know, the, the science, the medicine was very clear. That was a human being born uh, or unborn in the womb. It was, its genetic makeup is there. Its sex had already been, been determined. 
you know, if it's going to be allowed to carry out to term, it's going to be a living, breathing human being. There was also some argue, one argument made was actually pretty ridiculous. One person said, what are you saying? Like an 18 day old baby, an 18 day old fetus. That's like, most women don't even know that they're pregnant in 18 days. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, like, so the, the, it's the extreme 18 days. That's like two and a half weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. No, that, you weren't I mean, suggesting that at all. there is some talking... miraculous way to save an 18 year old baby. 18 right? year old? I mean, I'm wow. saying 18 day old, 18 day old, excuse me. <laughs> I just got reminded of that Will Farrell <laughs> SNL skit where a woman gives birth to a full-born, grown <laughs> adult male. Sick. He's born talking. It's only Will Farrell could pull a that off. Horrible image. Um, so yeah, there was some pretty um, like outlandish arguments out there. And again, when when people would call in and say this prohibits abortions, like, how does it prohibit abortion? Can you please explain it for me? Spell mm -hmm. it out for me. Nobody could. Um, and uh, again, so this one, and I would say the inspections, have, mm -hmm. they do not prohibit abortion at right. all whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, the, um, the, the, those were the three pro-life bills that were submitted. And I think they were all pretty strongly grounded in, you know, humanitarian um, uh, uh, desires and, and, and such. And then uh, uh, clearly backed in science. But the, um, the, the last bill that we can talk about was not a pro-life bill, but a pro-abortion bill. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, uh, let's see, it's uh, Bill S-267, which would really expand abortion coverage. What would that do? So it would be taxpayer funded and um, just expand it for employees and those on uh, Medicaid. And so two things with this bill. It is taxpayer funded, meaning that your taxpayers' tax dollars are going towards funding an abortion, even if you don't um, agree with, uh, even if you find it, you know, religiously, like if you find like that's against your, you, it doesn't matter if those tax dollars are going to go to pay for that. Um, what I thought was really interesting was the sponsor of the bill said that there was no fiscal impact to the state. So how can that be? It can't be. So I said, well, you know, how many people are on Medicaid? about 300,000 people in Rhode Island on Medicaid. And then for uh, state employees, it's like 30 some odd thousand. Wow. So we're talking about like, so if there are 300,000, half of those are men. So we'll say about a hundred. I wouldn't 000. say half are men. Okay. Most are going to be women and children. Okay. Yeah. Um, but of course there are men on there, uh, you know, on Medicaid. So to, to say that that this would have no fiscal impact whatsoever on the state. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I, I don't think abortion doctors are going to be doing this out of the kindness of their heart. So there is a fiscal impact to the state. Right. The other um, outlandish argument that was made. So was, wait, before we go on, go th ahead. there's there's a few reasons why you objected to this or, or we would object to it. First, it would uh, provide for more abortions in the state. Mm -hmm. Second, uh, it would burden the taxpayer it would burden the taxpayer mm -hmm. uh, taxpayer funds would have to pay for these expanded abortions yeah and then third um you know fiscally it's just going to you know it's another expense that the state is is paying for okay but if i hear you right so there are at least a couple of objections to this uh, for you and i first uh it just generally would expand abortions around the state you mm -hmm. you would have presumably thousands more uh people having abortions annually and then secondly is the connection to the taxpayer that 
this would have to use uh, taxpayer funds to pay for abortions in two groups of people, state employees, and then also um, uh, those on Medicaid. Okay. Right. And then the uh, last charge was charges of racism because everything is racist now. That one so, caught my attention. When yeah. I heard, um, I think it was uh, someone from the, uh, the, the Democratic uh, Committee in Providence. I think it was. I could be, oh, I it could was, be wrong. It but. was almost every. Oh, there were every, several people that. Several. Uh, help, just to state their argument, what were they arguing? What was the connection to, that makes the current policy where we don't have taxpayer-funded abortions? Mm -hmm. why, why is that racist? Well, if you're not provo providing um, abortions to minorities, then you're racist. That was the argument. Wow. So, so basically, um, those that are uh, too poor to uh, afford an abortion, they may be uh, black or minority. Mm -hmm. And um, and this was actually wrapped up in that whole cloak of systemic racism, mm -hmm. that this is an example of systemic racism against um, actually, minorities. Now that I think about it, I, one woman said, you know, as I was just sick of hearing it, so I challenged her and I said, well, you know, um, it was because she said we. She yeah. said we as a state. Yes. I heard it, and I my ears again perked up. I was like, "What?" I was rising up in my seat because <laughs> it's like, "How can you, how can you talk to uh, this way about you know so the what rest did of I the say? state?" But she said that we, as a state, yeah. have to take responsibility for our part in systemic racism by correcting this wrong mm -hmm. and, um, you know, expanding a, a abortion um, provisions or coverage or funding. Right. And you, <laughs> you just, you recoiled at that. And what, do you remember what you said? Something along the lines of, you know. Um, well, you said, I'm not right. racist. I just said, I, I'm not racist, but if you are, something like, like yeah, but if you are, like, we? <laughs> yeah. Let me know. Like, how are you? Uh, I, I almost want to ask people, show me your racism then. If you're right. saying that you're racist. And you then... shouldn't be talking about the rest of the state in such broad terms. Yeah. Racism is such a, is a serious charge. Mm. If someone's called a racist, you better have a specific incidence or example of it. You're um, diminishing, um, you know, would it, how, how horrible and horrific racism actually is. And when you just throw it around, like, you know yeah in other words the the decision not to fund abortions was never steeped in racism there's no evidence of that there's no there's i'm i haven't even read it but i'm positive that there's no argument on the do floor know, of the senate you, suggesting that it had nothing to do with that it was a moral decision do you know which organization was created in order to kill minority children yeah, I think I know where you're going to go with okay, this. Okay, let's talk about racism, yeah, right? That's yeah. racist. When you create an organization to snuff out the lives, the lives of minority children, mm -hmm. that's an actual. That's actually racism. Or people just uh, deemed, and that's Planned Parenthood, by deemed, the way, for right. those of you who don't know. Or are those deemed um, uh, like uh, unfit, sure, for uh, for society. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think the sad thing is when we're seeing a lot of people with Down syndrome, right. Um, and then they're seen as unfit exactly yeah uh all right so to be clear um you you would make the charge that it will be using taxpayer dollars for sure and you are also making the charge that being pro-life is not being racist is that fair 
I would say it's the opposite. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, good. Um, all right. So let's wrap this up. Uh, those are the four bills. If someone wants to weigh in on this, it might be too late to call in. We had a lot of people calling in for the hearings. Um, uh, but you can still write. You can your... still write your mm -hmm. lawmaker, right? Yep. Your senator or your representative. Mm -hmm. What else might a person do if they wanted to get more involved in this issue? Well, you know, there are organizations out there, and one of them seems to be very active in this state would be uh, Rhode Island Right to Life. There's also, um, uh, I've worked with We Heart Lives, and uh, Rhode Island Right to Life is always looking for volunteers and donations, but as I said, I'm going to give you guys homework every week that we talk about anything political. Contact your lawmaker. Let them know where you stand on these issues. Uh, simple as a phone call or an email, but let them know that you either, um, you know, uh, support or uh, oppose certain bills, whatever the issue is. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely make your voice heard. As someone who is uh, on the outside looking in at, uh, you know, for state senators and how they live their life and everything, I just want to say that you are constantly um, you know, on your phone, on your laptop, reading emails, listening to messages from your constituents. So it does happen. People mm -hmm. are hearing from their state reps and state senators. I think the issue that I have is it seems to be many of the same squeaky wheels. You know, like, for example, I, when, when you're checking your email you're, or even your Facebook account, sometimes you're getting messages from the same places and they tend to be pro-choice or pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. Folks from like the east side of Providence or from Barrington or the East Bay, they um, they seem to break the rules. Like they're not contact, maybe they, they, they know their senator or their rep is gonna vote I've for it. So they're calling everybody. Yeah, I write them back and I say, I'm not your senator, here's how you find them. And some of them write me back and say, oh, well, I know, I just wanted to let you know. And I was like, well, we're a representative form of government and I represent my district and I'm gonna vote the way my district um, you know, has elected me to vote. So, and I don't say that to be rude, but I don't, you know, that's the way I'm not running system. for governor, right? right? I am a state senator representing my district right. and mm -hmm. I'm, I want to hear from my constituents. Right. Hopefully they're contacting theirs, but it should be, you know, it should stop there or content, like you said, contact the governor or some other statewide office. Sure. Um, maybe last word on this, but you um, two years ago, you did receive a lot of calls from across the state about this, uh, about the abortion legislation. Mm -hmm. But you also received um, a lot from right here in your district, and you were keeping a tally. I was. Do you remember what the tally was when you know if you had to break it down by um, by proportions versus pro life and pro choice? I think it was a fifteen or sixteen to one ratio for every sixteen calls or fifteen calls or emails. Um, I would get one person for expansion of abortion. And those 15 or 16, again, it's, it's around 15, mm -hmm. that would say, please don't vote for this. Yeah. You know, because there were people in my district that were, hey, listen, I'm pro-choice, but I believe this bill goes too far. Um, I believe, you know, like in the first trimester, I'm totally okay with that. But once the baby is viable, I'm not okay with that. Viable or feeling pain. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that says a lot, you know, and, and as I said, contact your senator contact your representative you have to let them know where you stand otherwise um they're just going to to vote as as they as they see fit or as they are kind of nudged to to vote with uh, if you know special interest groups will reach out as well um so yeah does planned parenthood actively uh support candidates you know do they donate to 
to oh, campaigns? They, they donate to campaigns, not mine. Right. No. <laughs> no, you're no fan of Planned Parenthood. No, I don't get any uh But you from were them. a warrior. I'm telling you guys, if you did not see uh last Monday night's abortion hearing um or the uh, pro-life hearings, you've got to watch those because you just got to really see a side of Jessica that's not that cute cuddly but uh face, but it was the more than a pretty face stop mischaracterizing my bill kind of face and I think you've made a lot of people proud because uh, they, they do wonder if there's a voice at the state house that's still speaking some of these, you know, uh, whether it's common sense or, or um, basic, you know, morality and human decency, they feel like a lot of that's lacking. And um, I think in you, they find that there's still some hope in, uh, in the ocean state. Thanks, babe. You're so sweet. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode this week. Thanks for listening. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Today's closing quote comes from Abby Johnson, a former Planned Parenthood clinic director. As someone who used to work in an abortion clinic and now has helped over 425 people get out of the abortion industry, I have hundreds of firsthand accounts of what abortion clinics do to cut corners on cleanliness and health. Truly disgusting tales. Thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us by subscribing and sharing these episodes. And for more content, check out churchandstateri.com. 